0: Good morning. Good to worship with you. What a great way to start Sunday together. If you're new here, I want to say welcome. My name is Fred and I'm one of the pastors here and excited to have you. Thanks for coming and being a part of the service today. Uh, We're going to take a look today at Psalm 63, just so you know where we're going here. Uh, The next couple of weeks will be uh, in Psalms as well. We'll go up through Labor Day weekend in Psalms. And then after Labor Day weekend, we're gonna kick off our Revelation series and um, been really enjoying digging in and studying Revelation and I'm excited to, to get into that with you. Uh, we, did grab, we did grab a tool that I think will be very useful. You'll see on your way out on the left of the exit doors, There's uh, one of these tables that has um, these little books stacked on them. And what it is, is it's the text of Revelation on one side and then a place to take notes on the other side. And it's a nice little scripture notebook where you can um, just write down any questions you have, write down your notes, take sermon notes in there. And really, as we go through Revelation, keep everything in one place. And so I think that's a really great tool to have Um, they're five bucks. If, uh, if you have $5 that you can put towards covering the cost, if you don't have $5, no big deal. We just want you to have one. Uh, you'll see those at the door there. So please get one of those today. If you plan on going through revelation with us. All right. Hopefully that gave you time to find Psalm 63. I'll read the text together and then we will pray. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you and a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And I think of you as I lie on my bed. I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. But those who intend to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become a meal for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast, for the mouths of liars will be shut. Would you pray with me as we consider Psalm 63 today? Father, as we look to your word, which is living and active, able to, to renew and transform our minds, able to bring life to dead bones, God, would you speak your word into our lives today? Give us open hearts, open minds, open ears, open eyes, that we might receive all that you have for us today. We thank you especially for sending your son to be our salvation, and we rejoice in that today as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Psalm 63 was a psalm that David wrote while he was on the run. Now David had... Had many trials in his life and and some of those, as we looked at last week, were his of his own doing and others were things that came upon him because of the the ill intentions of other people psalm sixty three takes us to a place where David has been betrayed by family his own son has chased him out of his capital city where he ruled from and put he is he is caused the people to raise up in rebellion against David, and David has had to flee for his life. Now, to understand the depth of this psalm, to understand the, the context of this story, it might be helpful to know a little bit, <coughs> excuse me, about what's going on. David had many, several children, some of them to different wives, as was common in the day, especially among kings. And this whole thing begins between, uh, because of a dispute between a couple of his children. You see, one of his daughters named Tamar became attractive to one of David's sons. How's that for a story? <laughs> um, they were half siblings, as if that makes things better, but <clears throat> uh, David's son named, uh, excuse me, let me take a quick drink. David's son, named Amnon, took a liking to his daughter, Tamar. Like I said, they're half-siblings. Amnon basically advances on Tamar. she resists, and so he conspires to basically proceed to rape her. And she is devastated, of course. And then he begins to despise her, and he uh, basically casts her out, and refuses to take responsibility for this horrific sin that he has committed. Now, Tamar has a brother, another would be a half-sibling to Amnon. She has a brother named Absalom, and Absalom is irate. He is angry. He is full of hatred for his half-brother. He wants justice for his sister, and David offers them no justice. I mean, imagine the situation. Imagine having... Your children harm each other in such horrific ways and and now look to you for reconciliation. How is David gonna fix this? How How can he reconcile his children together? Well, he doesn't know. And so he does nothing or very little to resolve this situation. And a couple of years go by and Absalom's hatred for his brother Amnon just grows and grows and grows. And eventually... Absalom acts upon his hatred and he kills his brother Amnon. This causes David incredible grief. Absalom has to flee because he's, even though he is the king's son, he has now murdered the king's son. And so he becomes a fugitive and he goes and he hides for a period of time. (coughs) David, again, paralyzed by not knowing what to do, does little to reconcile with his son Absalom. And he does little to offer justice within his kingdom. Here's the man who's supposed to uphold the rule of law. Here's the man who's supposed to lead in righteousness. And his family is a mess. And it's tearing the kingdom apart. Some people are saying, I understand this is probably really hard for David. Some people are saying, well, where's... Where's justice for Tamar and Absalom? Why isn't David, st- you know, and everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's on one side, of the other. Well, eventually Absalom is allowed to return back to the capital city. And he begins to serve as a judge and he begins, to, he begins to plant seeds of rebellion against his father David. He begins to, to whisper to the people, well, if I was king, it would be like this. If I was in charge, this is how we do things. And the people begin to think, yeah, you know what? Maybe it's time for a change. We need... We need somebody who's gonna lead differently than David has led us through all of this. And eventually the people rebel. Absalom rises up and says, I'm your leader now. And David has to flee for his life. Imagine, now David had resources that you and I don't have, but if you would imagine for a moment, if if events transpired today while you're here at church that, that meant you could know, you could no longer go back to your home you had to flee you just get to take whatever you have with you today and now you're on the run where are you going to go i mean can you imagine the 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 instability that you would feel inside can you imagine the, the just the kind of inner turmoil that you'd be experiencing what do you mean I, I can't go home i can't go get i can't go get my my stuff my whatever i, I just I'm just on the run, and that's the situation that David's in. He's on the run, and he sits down one night, and he writes this psalm. You think, well, that's kind of strange. I don't know if I'd be doing poetry in the midst of this, but this, was, this is how David responded. This is how he dealt with. He'd been in this position before. He's, he's, he's hiding out. He's, he's got some faithful men around him who have stuck with him, but he sits down and he writes these words, the words of Psalm 63 that begins with, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. So what I wanna do with this Psalm today is I wanna suggest four ways to stay faithful and to trust God through hard times. David's in a difficult place. He has has failed to preserve his family He has failed to protect his daughter. And now he has failed to protect his son. And now Absalom has led the people in rebellion against him. He's lost almost everything. His children are against him. His kingdom is against him. Where is he going to turn? You know, hopefully you never find yourself in a situation quite like that one. But... I can guarantee you, you will find yourself in hard times. There's people in this room who are going through it right now. There's people here today who, who are facing very, very difficult realities right now in life. I've been there. Everybody in this room has been there. We you know, some people present the Christian life as a solution to all of the problems that this world creates. Some people present the Christian life as, oh, if you become a Christ follower, you'll never be sick, you'll never be in need, you'll, you'll get to fulfill all of your dreams. It's gonna be great. You're gonna live this amazing fairy tale life. That's a false gospel. Jesus promises no such things. In fact, he promises the opposite. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And we see his followers, they got sick They lost material things. They suffered the loss of loved ones and they eventually died. Jesus' earliest followers, the majority of them died a martyr's death. So much for health and wealth and prosperity. that's, That's the gospel that Jesus calls us to, a gospel that might cost you everything in this life And yet he says it's worth it. And so we need to be prepared to face hard times. We need to be prepared to suffer hardship for God. And when we do, we need to make it our aim to remain faithful and to trust God in those times. So, looking at David's psalm, I want to suggest four ways to stay faithful and trust God through hard times. If you have the handout in front of you that we gave you on the way in, go ahead and flip it over to the back so that we can take some notes together. The first one is this Seek God in His glory. Seek God in His glory. What do you do when, when things get hard? What do you do when life is falling apart? what did David do? He sought God. He sought after the one whom he trusted in to reveal himself and his glory through this situation. Verse one, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. He says, I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. Picture yourself in David's position. He's he's in a land that, 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 that creates a physical reality that he applies to the spiritual reality that he's facing. He's in a place where it's difficult to find water. You and I, if, if you've always grown up here in western Pennsylvania, you and I don't know what it's like to live in a dry desert land. We always have water. We have too much water. We have water coming out of the ground. We have, we have water falling from the sky. There's, there's water, there's so much water in western Pennsylvania. Sometimes too much water. And yet David lives in a place where the exact opposite is true. Knowing where, water, where to find water is a life or death issue. Knowing where to get water in, in the land that David is in is the difference between survival and not surviving. And he's experiencing that right now. He's on the run. And, you know, look, this is David's kingdom he 's got a lot of allies I'm sure that as he travels that they're 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 getting resources. i'm sure that he goes around people say, "Oh, there's David, hey, David, come over here are we you know we got a well and here's some food or or, or whatever It's possible that that he's got a lot of people helping him, but David knows what it's like to be thirsty in a dry and desolate place, and now he's saying what i 've experienced." Physically, I am experiencing spiritually. I thirst not for water this time. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. I need you, God. Have you ever been in a place where you knew if if God didn't come through, you weren't going to make it? Where you weren't, your faith wasn't going to survive. Your sanity wasn't going to last. Where you need God. As a dying man needs water in a desert land. That's where David's at. And so what does he do? He says in verse two, so I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. I look to you, God. I, 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 I fixate my attention upon you in order to see, to, David wants to be reminded of the God who has delivered him so many times in the past, the God who has provided for him, who has sustained him in times like this before. I look to you to see your strength and your glory. What does it mean to see God's glory in a situation like this? I think part of this is that David wants to be reminded of the God who has so many times before taken hardship like this and used it to do something beautiful. The God who has so often in David's past transformed his trials into testimonies. This is what David is is looking for, to to be faithful to God in the midst of hardship in part means to be seeking God's glory in the midst of hardship. It it, it means to, to have a view of what God is capable of doing that is bigger than just meeting your own needs. That God is actually going to use this as part of his plan to build his kingdom through your circumstances. That God is big enough. He is, what what does David seek? He seeks his strength and his glory. That God is strong enough and he is glorious enough that he can use even this horrific situation where the kingdom that God has given to David to lead has fallen apart. God can use even this to bring about His glory. Have you ever experienced that? I have. I have experienced God taking some of the hardest things that, that I've ever had to go through in my life and use them for His glory and for my good. That's the kind of God He is. David turns to seek God because he is look David you know we watch all these shows where um they're they're just brilliantly written so that the main character gets in all kinds of trouble and you is in the he or she's in a situation where you're like I don't know how they're going to get out of this and lo and behold the writers have this plan where this person is going to do something brilliant and everything is gonna fall back into place by the end of the story. And we love to watch that. However, when we find ourselves in those situations, we're like, where's, where's the brilliant idea that's gonna bring everything back together? I don't have it. The truth is, is that human beings don't have that kind of power. Human beings, when, when, we, when we get into situations where we're, we're experiencing things like David is, where life is just falling apart, we look to God. Not within ourselves because the answer is not there. David does not have the solution. He is God's man. He is God's chosen ruler over Israel. And he has been gifted to lead in that position and yet he does not have the solution within himself. So he turns to God. He seeks after God. He seeks for a glimpse of his glory and he begins to wonder how might God use this? How might God use this in my life to display his glory? I mean, think about the Think about the example of Jesus Christ crucified. There has never been greater human despair than there was on the earth the hour that Jesus died. All of humanity's hope for a Savior just died on the cross. And those closest to Jesus felt that. They, having been convinced that this Jesus was to be the Messiah who was going to lead them, not only restore the kingdom of Israel, but be the conduit through which God was going to bless all nations. And they just watched him take his last breath. And then what does God do? He does the most beautiful and most glorious thing that has ever happened in human history he brings about salvation through the resurrection of his son God takes impossible situations and uses them for his glory David knows that it's because of this that David now turns to God where do you turn when life gets hard Who or what do you look to in order to resolve your bad situations? David turns to God. And you and I, if we want to be faithful Christians, need to make a habit of turning to God when we are in despair. That's the first way to stay faithful and trust God through hard times. The second one that we see from this psalm is to praise him and worship him. We follow in David's footsteps when we praise him in difficult times. This is what he says, verse three, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. David, having lost almost everything that he has, pens these words, even even though I've lost my family, I've lost my kingdom, I've, I've lost my livelihood, I've lost just about everything. I still have something better, which is God's faithful love. And because of that, he says, verse 4, I, so I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips." David knows that even in the midst of this situation, it's appropriate to praise God, to worship him. He's going to use his words to glorify God in one of his darkest moments. What kind of words do you use in your darkest moments? I know when, when when let's say something takes a takes a negative turn. Just you know, throughout my day or whatever. Let's say you just you stub your toe. Is the first thing out of your mouth? Praise you, Jesus! <laughs> Thank you. The battery's dead on the car. You wake up sick. I don't know. Something goes wrong. Is the first thing you do decide to praise God? David finds that God is worthy even in this even in this situation. He's having a worship service while he's on the run, living barely living off of what he can gather around him, and yet he finds ample reason to worship him. Is it is it because He's immune to, to frustration or immune to despair? No. It's because, one, he knows God is worthy. He has, he has discovered throughout his life. Now listen, David, David is a mature man at this point. He's, it's, it's, maybe he wasn't like this in earlier stages of his life, but he has learned by now. He has been through enough of these situations to know that God is still good, he is still worthy, that the answer is still praise, and that there's actually a lot to be gained by worshiping him. Uh, One of the pastors that discipled me years ago uh, took me through a discipleship study that, that taught me that worship and worry are like a seesaw. They're on opposite ends, of this seesaw, and when worship goes up, worry goes down. But when worry goes up, worship goes down. And I never forgot that. And I, th- I think it's true. It's it's impossible to worship and worry. You're going to do one or the other. If you're worrying, you're not worshiping. If you're worshiping, you're not worrying. And it's, it's not that David doesn't feel despair. It's not that he doesn't feel fear or hopelessness or whatever's going through his mind. It's that he knows the answer is to praise God. He knows the answer is to worship him. He's going to use his lips to glorify God. He has experienced that God's faithful love is better than life. It's better than being back at home in his kingdom with his family all together. Better than that is to have God's faithful love in your life. The the hard thing is, is these are things you only learn by going through it. These are things you only, you, you you don't establish that level of trust in God and in what he's doing without going through hardship. These are hard lessons to learn, but David has learned them. Throughout his life, he has seen the faithful love of God to be better than life. He has seen that there's something better than being king. There's something better than having at your disposal the resources of an entire kingdom. There's something better than being the leader of the people of Israel, and that is to have God's faithful love. And so whether he's on the throne or whether he's hiding out in a cave, he has God's faithful love. And that, he says, is better than life. If we, if, if we find ourselves in hard times, it's important not only that we seek, seek to see God to see his glory and to know that those, those things are, are sufficient for what we're going through, but it's important to actually put into action our response to what we see. And that response is worship. That response is to praise him. He says, my mouth will praise you. With what? With downcast lips. My mouth will praise you with a lackluster attitude. No, he says, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. This is a man who is so convinced of God's worth that he can actually praise him with joyful lips in the midst of his trial. How sweet it is to come to a place where you can show up here in church in some of your darkest days and still find a reason to rejoice. How sweet it is to to be so convinced of the value of God's faithful love in your life that even when you're going through it, when you're driving down in the road in your car, you're still praising him and worshiping him and declaring his worth, declaring his glory. I will lift up my hands, David says, How do we stay faithful and trust God through hard times? We seek God in his glory. We praise him and we worship him. Third, the next thing you see on your handout, we can follow in David's footsteps by meditating on his character and provision. We meditate on his character and provision. David can't afford to allow his thoughts to just wander wherever they want to go. He's not in a a place where he he can be undisciplined in what he chooses to dwell on. Because if he thinks about the reality of his circumstances, his daughter has been raped and defiled, his one son is dead, because his other son killed him. And now that son has led the entire nation of Israel in rebellion against him. If he's going to choose to, or if he's going to allow his thoughts to go where they would naturally go, he's, he's gonna end up in a dark place. He, this guy's, he's gonna need some therapy. <laughs> He's going to need some medication. It's not going to be good. Sometimes Sometimes life puts us in a place where the reality of what we're experiencing is just so troubling. That if we choose to dwell on that, we'll break. We will just break. We won't make it. And too often that happens. But David chooses to meditate on God's character and on how he has already provided. This is what he says in verse six. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I will follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. What kind of God is it that has allowed me to end up in this position? He's a God that I can trust. He is a God who gives me strength. He is a God who is my helper. He is a God who covers me in the shadow of his wings. David has this picture. Listen, in in Israel, uh, if you don't find shelter, you will die. The sun will kill you. You will not survive. And so what is David's shelter? Again, he's drawing on the physical realities to understand his spiritual realities. And that is that God has covered him in a shadow. God is keeping him and caring for him and sustaining him. So David says, I'll follow close to you I'm going I'm to stay right where you are because there I'm protected. There I'm safe. Not safe from the troubles of this world. God did not spare David from those things. God allowed David to experience hardship. But his soul is safe. But he, but he willfully chooses to think about such things he willfully chooses to remind himself of God's character that's what he's doing he's writing down he's he's reminding himself through writing he's reminding himself by by putting his thoughts onto onto uh, onto paper whatever kind of paper he had available at the time he's 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 thinking on these things when he says i meditate on you during the night watches I understand biblical meditation is is just fixing your thoughts on something. We're not talking about Eastern meditation, hum, you know, that kind of stuff. He's, he's, he's giving his attention to who God is. Who is God? Well, he's the God that was with me when I was just a shepherd boy And the predators would come to attack the sheep that I was watching over and he would give me the strength to defeat them. He's the God who was with me when Goliath rose up and defied the armies of Israel and God gave me the strength to take down that giant. He's the God who was with me when Saul was seeking to kill me out of jealousy. He's the God who was with me through the Bathsheba debacle you know what, God's, God's been there a lot, hasn't he? And I think when you and I take the time to think about it and meditate on his character, he really is a faithful God, isn't he? He really is worth trusting. He's a God who has taken care of us for a long, long time. And I guess, I guess we can trust him to take care of us now. He remembers God's provision. He remembers how God has come through in the past. And he does not allow his current circumstances to dictate how he views God. He, he, he makes how he views God, based on what he's done and based on his character, dictate how he views his current circumstances, This isn't like the power of positive thinking. This is like remembering who God really is and trusting in him. And David knows this might be the end of his rule as king. And yet God is still worthy of praise because his faithful love is better than life. There's one more thing that I want to encourage you with when it comes to staying faithful and trusting God through hard times. Let's just Look back real quick. We're gonna seek God in his glory. We're gonna praise him and worship him and we're gonna meditate on his character and provision. Finally, David remembers God's just outcome. He remembers God's just outcome. He has a view of God's control, or he has a view of God's sovereign rule over his creation that assures him that no matter what, God is going to make it right in the end. He has a view of God's sovereign power over his enemies, over his circumstances, over his own feelings that causes him to have confidence in what God is going to do. He says in verse 9, but those who intend to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become a meal for jackals, but the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast, for the mouths of liars will be shut. David knows look, his enemies, they're not God. His enemies aren't the ones that are in control. His enemies aren't the one who get to decide how this is going to end. His enemies are subject to the sovereign rule of God. And he has confidence that justice will be done. If these men who have, who have ousted him from his, from his throne and sent him on the run, or if they are not acting in obedience to God, then God's going to deal with them. He even says, "He even says to those who would." I have to. I will have to tell you the story a little bit so you know how this all works out. So David's on the run, and the people have risen up in rebellion with Absalom against David. Well, eventually, and war ensues. Right? That's how this. That's how this works out. Like war breaks out, and people are fighting against each other. And at one point, Absalom, now David has told his men, because remember, his men who fled with him, who remained loyal to him and faithful to him, he's told his men, deal gently with Absalom. If you get a hold of Absalom, remember, he's my son. And this is part of David's problem. David refuses to bring justice home to his own children. That's what got him in this situation. But right or wrong, he he, instruct, he clearly instructs, and the scriptures make it clear that all of David's men heard these instructions to, to deal gently with Absalom. Well, Absalom is is in one of these battles at one point, and he's fleeing. And um, when we went over to Israel a couple years ago, our our tour guide, our friend pointed out to us um, in, in one of the places of Israel, there's these trees that that the branches don't start until a few feet off the ground, and so they kind of like hover over your head. But these trees grow up, and and their branches all kind of grow together and form like this ceiling. And so there's this really interesting like forestry in Israel, where where it's just you're just covered, but everything underneath you, except for the trunks of the trees, you can you can go through. And he said this is where they believe Absalom uh, was slain or in a forest like this because the scriptures tell us that as Absalom is riding through the forest, he had long hair and his hair got caught on the tree branches. Ouch. <laughs> That's why I shaved my hair. <laughs> he, his, his hair got caught on the tree branches and he's left dangling, suspended in mid air, hung by his hair. And one of David's faithful men goes up and he slays Absalom. When David says, when David remembers that God is going to bring justice, when he says, but those who intend to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth, of course, he's not hoping for the death of his son, but he is aware of God's just outcome. He is aware that his enemies are not the ones who are in control. And you and I, when we go through hard times, we need to remember there is no one but God who determines how this ends. There is no one but God who determines when we live or when we die, when we're sick or when we're healthy, that God does not, he does, he, he does not let go of his sovereign rule over his creation for anybody. And we can trust him. We can trust him not to do what we want him to do, but to do what is best. And isn't, isn't eternity sufficient? Is, well, let me, let me ask you to, to consider this. Is eternity with God not sufficient enough to undo every pain and sorrow that we experience on earth? This, this story begins with a, a young girl who is raped by her brother. That's one of the worst things that can happen to a person. There are worse things, but that, one, that one's up there, that one's bad. Then we have murder within the family and then we have rebellion. We have all of these things. How, how could David's life ever be okay again? Again? Like getting his throne back isn't going to undo all of that. But there is something that will. And that's eternity with God. We can rest assured that no matter what we suffer through in this life, eternity with our Savior will be more than sufficient to undo the hurt, to undo the pain, to undo the loss, to undo the grief. God has a plan for an outcome that has taken into consideration everything that you and I are going to experience on this earth that causes us hurt. And David reminds himself of that. God is the one who is in control. It's not Absalom. It's not the people who have rebelled against us. It's not the people who are seeking after his life. It's God and God alone. The king will rejoice in God and all who swear by him will boast, for the mouths of liars will be shut. As we continue to live out our lives in this frustrating world, where we not only experience personal trials and difficulties, but we see worldwide trials and difficulties. As we see the wrong people succeeding and controlling or at least in our own eyes, controlling the events of this world, we must must remember God's just outcome. We must remember that he is the one who decides how it all ends. And he has made known to us his plan to gather his people and to live with them forever in the new creation. And that is sufficient to undo every hurt in every pain that we go through in this life. So friends, when you find yourself in hard times, I hope that these four things will help you stay faithful and trust the God who is in control. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which reminds us of what a great God you are. If David, in the midst of everything he was going through, could find reason to praise you, to trust you, to obey you, may we do the same. And I pray especially for anyone in this room who's in that hard time right now, who's going through trial at this moment. God, would you encourage them to seek you, to meditate on who you are and how you have provided in the past and to trust that you have a plan eternity that far outweighs anything we'll go through in this life. God, encourage their hearts, remind them of our glorious future because we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, took our place so that we don't receive the just penalty for our sins, but we receive your mercy and your grace. And God, for those of us who are We'd say we're not in the midst of trial. May we tuck away these lessons. May we remember how David faithfully faced his trials. And when the time comes where we have to go through hardship, may we do the same. For your glory, for our good, help us to be faithful to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.